Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Elizabeth Andrew, a SaaS sales executive with an incredible background in building and leading sales teams, accelerating revenue, and crushing quotas. She was most recently VP of sales at Natomi. Prior to that, she was VP of sales at Pluma, which was acquired by Skillsoft and has spent many years over at Dropbox. Hello, sign. We have so much to learn from you. I can't wait to get into this. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. It's so great to be here. And I'm, I'm so happy to have the connection. Super looking forward to this conversation. This, this is going to be exciting. So where I'd like to start. So you've been a, a three-time VP of sales. Mm-hmm. And there are all types of VPs of sales that go into different stages of different companies and different types of things. And one of the questions that I get asked often, both with the show and what I do every day is, I want to hire a VP of sales. Who should I look for? How do you, how do you look at opportunities that you would ever go into or how you assess them? But also from the hiring side of it, like, how do you know if you need a VP of sales? And then what is it that I'm looking for to, to, to avoid any kind of mishire? Yeah, so this is one of the hardest things I think founders and CEOs come up with, especially in early stage and startup. You know, And as a multi-time sales leader and, and VP of sales, it's hard for, for that as well. I mean, if you're in a publicly traded company and you don't hit revenue numbers, it's the CEO who is accountable, but in a startup or a hyper growth, it's the VP of sales. And so, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges I have found, frankly, as a sales leader in the Silicon Valley is that, you know, I've worked for so many CEOs who are brilliant, you know, coming out of MIT, Harvard, many of them come from the product and engineering side, and they always think that the product's going to sell itself. It never does. And, you know, they, Oftentimes, not all of them, but many of them don't really respect the sales function overall. And, you know, so it's a very, very challenging hire. And you'll see, like, I mean, you can run data on it. And I've heard, you know, a lot of recruiting companies talk about it. I think the average tenure of a VP of sales in an early stage startup is like eight months. Um, And, you know, I think one of the biggest things that CEOs and founders and leadership teams can do is really make sure that you're aligned with that sales leader that you're bringing on in terms of what the expectations and what the goals are. And, you know, I've, I've learned the hard way, you know, as a sales leader, when I'm evaluating companies to join, to really dig in and understand, you know, how many sales leaders have been there before. You know, what is the, you know, I mean, I've had situations where I've been the fourth sales leader. It's not a sales problem, you know, so like really digging in and understanding what are the, the goals and targets and, you know, what does the pipeline look like? What are, you know, one of the things that I think is more critical too is really evaluating are there happy customers, you know, what is the NRR, the retention rate of existing customers. And so really aligning, whether you're evaluating a company as a VP of sales, or if you're a founder evaluating sales leader is just really making sure that you're aligned and on the same page and transparent about where the company is and where they're going to be going. Yeah. 
No, it's it's critically important. I I do a lot of sales leadership hiring. I, I work with a lot of founders, and one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is essentially a hiring scorecard. So, what is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for a builder? Are you looking for a manager? Are you looking for the coach? Are you looking for someone who can individually sell versus build a team? Like it's so like you got to really spend the time. It's not just well, let's go find a VP of sales who is in our industry and they're at some, you know, big XYZ company or industry that aligns with us. It's just, it's simply not that easy. Absolutely. It's funny because you and I were talking before about our communities and connections and you've probably heard Amy Volas talk a lot about this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's her. She's got a, you know, she's got a Avenue Talent Partners. Have, they have their own scorecard that they use. Yeah. And, companies to use when they're evaluating people. And I, you know, I think that's really important and you're right. I mean, you know, I think you have to look at so many different things, like the stage of the company, you know, and it's very, very different when you are going from zero to one versus being a series A, B or C leader or, you know, a larger big publicly yeah. traded company, you know, it's very, very different. And I think when you're, I, I've been through a couple of successful exits. So I've started small and I've scaled up and, you know, I think you have to, I, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm good at wearing a lot of hats. So I really love this startup and hyper growth, you know, scaling piece and building and working cross-functionally and all those things that go along with it. But, you know, I think you have to look at the type of company, you know, I've been in sales leadership roles for early stage startups and, you know, made the mistake of hiring either an IC or a leader out of huge companies like a Google, like I'm sure they're very talented, but they don't necessarily have the same, you know, if you hire a rep, you know, they're like, where are my leads? Well, you've got to find them on your own. <laughs> so right. it's like, it, you got to, a lot of what that scorecard and what you're evaluating needs to really align with what the business. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So let's let's turn it around. Let's let's get into this. So you're a VP of sales, you jump onto a team. And what I, I think there's a lot of VPs of sales who, you know, they think of their 30, 60, 90 day plan, which you can go on Google and you can figure out right away exactly all the things that you can use and it's the template. But for someone who's done it and done it very successfully, when you when you join what what are the first things that you do? What are you looking for? What are you what are you trying to optimize for? Like how do you how do you go around go about kind of your day initially? Yeah, so I mean, I have a very just real quickly. I have a very unusual background for tech. I'm from the Bay Area. I started out in the investment industry many years ago, and I helped Wells Fargo Asset Management build their very first mutual fund company, the Overland Express Funds. So there were four of us, and we ended up taking it from zero to over billion dollars in assets selling. And after I built an inside sales team, I was transferred as a mutual fund wholesaler to the Northeast. And I was trained by really some of the top institutional or enterprise investment wholesalers in the world at the time. And at those days, we called it a business plan. Today, it's a playbook, <laughs> right? But it's like, creating those repeatable in those days it was field sales it was back when carrying a bag was carrying a bag right so it's like have four in person meetings four days a week have one day of follow-up and scheduling out always make sure you're scheduled two weeks in advance you know have this all mapped out your plan your road map and that's helped me like understanding that you know creating the 
the daily activities. It's like anything else, right? You want to get in shape or work out, you know, it's like having those repeatable processes is what leads to success. And so it's the same thing in, you know, in technology and building any kind of sales organization. Um, I've been fortunate that I've worked for three Y Combinator companies right. and I've seen, you know, I, when I joined at HelloSign, I was employee number 40, 43 or something like that. And I was an IC initially, but, you know, I, we were such a small team and, you know, I worked cross-functionally and represented sales in the weekly marketing meeting and, you know, had a lot of interaction with all the different teams. Right. So I learned a lot of the fundamentals, you know, from these companies in terms of what that infrastructure needs to look like, you know? And so the first thing I do when I go into a company is I really take the first 30 days and I evaluate and audit everything, you know, I understand what are the sales stages? Is there specific entry and exit criteria? I always try as a sales leader, it doesn't matter if I'm a first line sales leader, if I'm a player coach in a super early stage, or if I am a second line sales leader with huge teams, it's like, I always try to close a couple deals as a sales leader to really, feel it. Yeah, really understand the, the sales process and soup to nuts, you know, so I want to try to at least close two to five deals if I can, you know, but, you know, really assessing kind of what all those, those sales stages, what's the methodologies I've used medic and MedPick and things like that a lot. I'm a big believer yeah. in that. You know, it's interesting when I worked for white combinator companies, I find that the, a lot of the methodologies kind of seem to be the same amongst them, you know? So yeah. And I, you know, I spend a lot of time getting into the weeds with the team and, you know, I'm, I like flat organizations, you know, I'm not afraid to get push up my sleeves and get into the calls with the team. And, you know, so really evaluating and assessing and then breaking down and retraining everybody on kind of what the new processes are going to look like, you yeah. know, and, and so, yeah. What do you, how do you think about from a, from like a, a, a VP of sales kind of coaching versus leadership approach? When you're when you're in those beginning stages, how much do you focus kind of on the team and the people and kind of figuring them out, figuring out their skills, what they're good, so on and so forth? And how much do you focus on just like let's dig into the process and let's start to try to unpack what's there and what we create more efficiencies? Obviously, there's a million things to do as soon as you walk in the door. How how do you kind of juggle or balance that? Yeah, I have three buckets that I evaluate: people process, product. So, you know, I break down the people, you know, of course, sometimes you have to manage some people out or, you know, you really break down where the people are by getting into the calls and understanding where they are and the one-on-one -on -one coaching and sales team meetings and, and that sort of thing. The process, I really evaluate exactly, you know, what are the stages? What are the, what is the presentation decks look like? What, you know, kind of what, you know, what are they doing for discovery? Are they focusing in the right areas? Are they asking the right questions? So I break down all of the processes and then the product, what I've put under, sometimes leaders take it as tech stack is the third bucket. I don't really, I actually put tech stack under processes, like when I evaluate what the tech stack yeah. is, but product is around, you know, really making sure that the product training is good, that the messaging and scripts and everything mm. are on point that, you know, that the team is adequately, and it depends a lot on how complex the product is and sales. And, you know, I don't believe in 
taking transactional sales and making them more complex than they need to be. But if it's a complex sale or a complex product, making sure that that product training and, you know, and knowledge becoming a, you know, making sure that the team has the assets to be a student of their profession, you know, the competitive landscape, everything that, you know, what kind of objections come up. So that falls into that product bucket. When you, because I know you've also, you've done a lot of advising, you're, you're an investor, you, you're working with all kinds of companies across the board, not just obviously the ones that you, you have on your resume. When you look at it, is there a, is there specific things that you always encourage these companies to have? Because I, I know for me, with, whenever I'm doing an audit for, for a, a company, they, they're just like missing things, like the things that just literally just don't exist. They might have them in their heads. They might do some of these things, but there are just going to be pockets that just flat out don't exist. Is it, are you going in and saying, hey, we need all this before we can get going? Or is it like, hey, let's continue to do things, kind of, kind of, kind of build the tracks while we, while the train's already in motion, like that, that, that kind of juggle is, is challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I love. Right. I mean, there's always a little bit of the flying the plane, building the plane as you fly. Right. right? And, but, you know, there's if you're talking about early stage companies, you know, that are seed or series A or whatnot, you know, they, they're not going to have everything in place. Right. There's going to be huge gaps, you know. And so and I think this is where when you build a team, it's really important to find team members that are very resourceful. You know, it's like you do have to wear a lot of hats and figure it out. You can't just be like siloed in your function. You've got to be able to adapt and, and solve problems and figure out what's needed, you know. But oftentimes I, I tend to work for companies that, I mean, some companies have been well-funded, but like, you know, sometimes you have to get by without some of the tools for a little while, yeah. you know, until you get to a place where you can have it. That, that makes a lot of sense. What is your... What's your take on, should I hire remote reps or should I hire, do they force them to come in to the office, hybrid? Like what, what's your take on that? You know, there's so many things going on out there and I actually am getting very passionate about this, this topic. It's something that I'm really evaluating right now. I, since I left my last company year end, I've been consulting and, you know, working, happy to help anybody consult, you know, in terms of go to market or building and, and that sort of thing. But um, in addition to that, I'm investing and evaluating some companies. And there's one company that is a, that I'm really excited about right now that I'm potentially investing in called Sales Compete. It's, it's a tool that's entirely in Slack that helps sales managers really like with performance tracking, coaching, feedback, and also a lot of gamification. So it's really what it's doing and is creating that sales floor energy for remote workers. Yeah. And part of the reason I'm really excited about this is that I'm a mom and my oldest son is actually an SDR. He's in his second role and he's doing pretty well because he goes into an office three days a week, you know, but when you're in your first five to seven years in a career, you may not know how to structure your day to be as productive as you possibly can, especially in sales. Yeah. It's a hard, if you, you know, we oftentimes give the hardest role in sales to the least experienced people, which is cold calling, creating pipeline, you know, and that's a really hard thing to do when you're in your basement, you know, and I've never been a big fan of like the bro tech bro scene. And I used to be an investment wholesaler calling on stockbrokers, you know, and so, <laughs> but, you know, there was a lot to be said for the fact that when you've got, you know, a, a sales team, AEs and B 
BDRs and SDRs, they, you know, they learn a lot from hearing one another and, you know, playing ping pong and having conversations between the sales meeting and walking back to your desk and hearing other people pitch. And so that's really what this tool is going to yeah. help. Yeah, it's, it's pretty challenging to replace that. I mean, I, that's kind of how I, I went through the ranks is, you know, you, you always made calls right next to five, 10 other people and you could overhear their calls. There was no right. phone booths. You didn't go in the hallway or you hop on a conference call or a conference room. It was, you talk when everybody else was talking and that's, you know, that there's a reason why cubicles were a thing back in the day and it cut down a little bit of noise. When, when, when you go into a company, do you, are you okay with hiring remote reps? Are, are you not okay? Or is that maybe a little bit of both and you look for specific traits or experience or that type of thing in order to be able to say, hey, this person could be successful or this model would work for this company? You know, it's interesting because my son, because of his experience and, you know, he like a lot of sales development reps is looking to be an AE and a closer, you know, in his career. And he knows that he'll never himself, like he will never be able to work for a company that's hundred percent remote. He doesn't want that. He likes that. Not maybe not every day, but a couple of days a week to have a hybrid opportunity. But I don't think that's realistic anymore. And I've led, I've in the last few years, last two roles, I've led hundred percent remote teams. And I think that, you know, you're going to have to be able to do that in this day and age. I mean, I just don't think yeah. people are going to be, I mean, I, I like working remotely, you know, but yeah. I realize it's not for everybody, you know, and I yeah. think it's, there's a lot to be said for sales teams that are, you know, that are really engaged with one another and have the kind of have that whole inspiration from the founders. And, you know, so the more you can create that. And I think one of the things you hear a lot of VCs talking about now, I have a lot of friends in venture capital world is applications that are the future of work. You yeah. know, so I think the more we can, that's one of the things about this sales compete is that the more we can replace or maybe not even replace, but augment, you know, the remote environment to create or recreate that sales floor energy, the better it's going to be. How I, I agree with you. I, I don't know that fully in office, especially with the way that people are, are, are coming out of school and going through the ranks today. I, I think that that's just no longer ever a desire. I agree that that hybrid is kind of the best of both worlds so that you can go into the office from your experience of having remote teams, which is, which is a, a huge, you know, all the way that direction. What do you see? Like, what have you done to, to try to mimic that in office learning? I mean, that's really what, what is the myth, right? There's the social relationships being built. There's the, you know, just walking around, hearing the conversations. There's the spinning of your chair and getting to, you know, talk to a colleague or a manager. That's, that's really the essence of the best part of, of being in an office. From your experience of what you've done, like, do you have an example or things that you specifically do that you're like, if when I have a remote team, this is how I keep everybody engaged. Yeah. And, you know, it's so hard because you want your team doing revenue generating activities and the more they're on, you know, it's like the best way to, to solve some of that is to do a lot of player coach, like not just as a sales leader, like one-on-ones with your reps, but team them up with one another so that they can learn from each other and, you know, really giving, I think the more as a sales leader, I think the more you can give 
empower your team to do their best work, you know, and the better it's going to be. And so, you know, we have, I mean, there's a host of different things, but we, I do like a kind of a lunch and learn type of environment that we all in my last company called it think tank sales, think tank, you know, every Thursday afternoon where we'd get together on a zoom for an hour and there'd be, we'd either bring somebody in from another team or department, or we would have sales training or, you know, it could be a host of different things, but oftentimes just getting the individual reps to lead the topic. Like we need to do some training on this or to really get their buy-in, you know? And I, I think as a mother too, like I see that with my kids, right? Like the, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in building culture, a culture of excellence and empathy. And, you know, if people feel good and cared about and like you're engaged in what they're doing, they're going to feel valued and they're going to, work harder, yeah. you know? And so, so I Agreed. love to, I love the team building piece of it. That's, that's interesting to have them like have each rep do something in these think tanks. I mean, I think that that builds to the culture. I think that allows them to maybe show off a skill that they have. So if they're really good at something, they can teach others. It's it, that is, that is a great example of really empowering the team are are there are there other specifics that you might recommend to the to the audience for for founders VPs of sales to say if you have a remote sales team or even a hybrid team that are kind of along this think tank idea because that's a that's something that is very actionable you can you can implement that tomorrow you can set it up for an hour hour and a half you can do trainings you can you can just you can chit chat I used to do a quote unquote happy hour type of thing on Fridays that had nothing to do with alcohol, but it was, let's just all get on a zoom and hang out because talk about whatever's going on, what, what happened in the week, what's happening this weekend and just have downtime, which was a big culture building thing. What are some other things that you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I, you know, the thing is too, is that we are like, I mean, you got to do those kind of things, but at the same time, you know, we're now what three years out of the pandemic and or three years into the pandemic or on the other side of the pandemic or whatever you want to call it. But like people are zoomed out. Yeah. It's just zoomed out. Like I, you know, I, we were so excited about all the happy hours in that first year. You know, I was doing happy. I was doing like online cooking classes, you know, just for fun, you know, and, yep. and getting together with college friends on zoom. Like I don't want to do any of that anymore zoom enough, you know? So, I mean, I, that stuff's important, but, you know, again, I, I think one of the most impactful things that sales teams can do or sales leaders can do or founders can do is look at kind of what the, what the new state of work is, you know, and again, kind of evaluating that future of work, you know, I mean, ping me if you're interested in sales compete, but I also like, I was at a dinner with somebody that was a senior leader for a long time as a VC, but senior leader at Airbnb for many, many years. And, you know, he's talking about like how thinking about getting, how can the future of sales teams get together? Like if you're not going into the office anymore, maybe having a quarterly offsite, you know, and someplace super interesting, you know, and a compound is a, is a great way to bring yeah. bring people together support you know you and i also talked about like scott lease and and richard harris who are friends of mine and you know they do surf and sales like take your team to surf and sales or you know it's going to be less than it you're going to spend on office space that's true you know so, yeah you know anytime Absolutely. you can get 
I've been trying to go to more in-person things in the San Francisco Bay area and it, it's so much better. Yeah. Just so much better. When, well, so when you, when you couple those two things together, so you've led some remote teams, you are into the, obviously the hybrid approach. So there's some in office learning, some remote learning, and now we have zoom fatigue, right? So it's mm -hmm. everything like, Oh my God, I'm exhausted online. If you're a VP of sales today, how do you, how do you figure out what to do right now? I mean, obviously you can do the, the offsites and those things are, are probably quarterly or every other, you know, semi-annually, something like that. But like, how do you, how do you figure out what it is to do on a, a weekly basis or a monthly basis in order to really keep that team, whether it's SDRs or AEs, how do you keep them engaged and really working together on that, that forward alignment? Cause a lot of, a lot of people are struggling right now. No kidding. And that's, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you kind of the history behind this sales compete. There was a, there's a CEO who is a founder and he's been a CEO of a company for seven, eight years. And during the pandemic had to get rid of his sales leader. And all of a sudden as a founder had the whole sales team and BDR team reporting to him. And so he built this tool in Slack to make it so much easier. So he wasn't having to like track their activities and metrics and everything. So he could just go and see it. And he created these power hours that are super fun and things like that. And so organically, some customers have, have come to the solution and signed up and feedback is, is really good for that. Because I know, like I've had, I had a situation, you know, in, in one role where I was a, a, a sales leader running a big team and I'm on back to back zoom calls from seven in the morning till six at night. And, you know, a couple of weeks go by and realize that one of my account executives had been deciding to take every Friday off to go surfing. And, you know, I don't care what you do if you hit your numbers, but if you're not yeah. hitting your numbers, you know, it's like, I don't want to have to babysit either, right. you know, but I think, I think a lot of sales leaders are finding like, I don't even, are your reps working? I don't know. Yeah. You know, so tools to keep them engaged, but also it's not even like big brother either. It's like for sales teams, you know, and when I'm evaluating this sales compete, I'm talking to some companies that have gone through rifts and had to let people go. Morale is low, you know, or even companies that are thriving. If somebody is working in their basement and you're 22, like one of my friend's sons plays video games, like he's. You know, you just, it's hard to stay motivated and it impacts morale, right? So any way that you can get them engaged and, and make it fun and create that camaraderie, the better. Yeah. And with Absolutely. the sales compete, they, the founder interviewed 15 customers and they saw an increase in activities, emails, calls, everything of over 30% in the first three weeks of implementing the tool. Wow. Yeah, well, if you, if you don't invest, I might invest because you're, you're certainly doing the sales <laughs> for them. <laughs> I know, I know, and I'm, not, I'm not in sales for them. I'm just <laughs> no, I know. I just, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think that's a great idea. So I want to, I want to transition into the actual sales environment today. And let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about some complex sales environments. Let's talk about enterprise. Mm -hmm. Right now, there are more emails sent than ever before. There are more there's more noise than than ever before if if i'm in sales whether it's an sdr or a full cycle ae what do i need to do in order to actually get more opportunities like how do i break through the noise so so much of what i teach is not 
it's not that you are competing against your just your direct competitors. You're competing right. against every other sales rep that is ever trying to prospect or solicit in any kind of way. Like you are competing for attention. How, how do you, especially in an enterprise larger that, that you know is going to be this complex sale with lots of different buyers, how, how do you break through? Yeah. So interestingly, like I, you know, I, I think I shared with you, like I started selling as an institutional investment wholesaler when carrying a bag was carrying a bag. There was no such thing as inbound. Like, you, you know, they had, I was calling on Merrill Lynch and, you know, all the major investment companies and they had what was a red book, which is essentially the yellow pages. You know, it's like a phone book and you'd have to call and make your own book, your own meetings. And, you know, and so, you know, I, I, I have been through many down markets both in the investment world and in technology. And I actually like them because I think you can really separate yourself as a seller when the shit hits the fan. You know what I mean? It's like everybody looks good when the markets yeah. have been for the last 14 years. And a lot of people haven't, a lot of salespeople, even sales leaders have never been through a down market, right? right? And everybody looks good, you know, and sometimes all it takes to be a top producer in technology companies is to be up next in the rotation. Like that's not selling, right? right. You, we do get, in today's world, we do get buyers coming to the conversation, probably 80% more educated because of having access to Google and everything else to, to do their homework on products. But you know, the, the reps that are really going to separate themselves are the ones that are not just sending out a gazillion emails, the ones that are really doing their homework. Understand your buyer, do your research, find out what they're interested in, find out what their tools are. If you're doing enterprise, connect with multi-thread, connect with, you know, five, six stakeholders within the organization, find out what is important to each one of them and make sure that your outreach is very, very bespoke to their problem, their pain and how you can solve it. Right. And so yeah. the, I was at a company called Pluma. We were small, we were 19 people in the U S 12 of them were in sales and we had no marketing team, no SDR, BDR team. It was a 100% enterprise outbound play. And we took it from four to 11 million in less than a year. Wow. You know, and yeah. Awesome. What are, without obviously sharing any like confidential or proprietary information, like, can, can you talk to some of the plays from the systems that you set up in order to, to do that? Because I think, especially, especially today, there are a lot of teams that are out there that marketing team gets cut. CS team gets gone down to a skeleton crew. Oftentimes SDR teams axed and AEs are now full cycle AEs and everybody's working with this smaller team and smaller resources and that type of thing. What, if, what were you able to do that, that set you apart, that differentiated you to, to whether it's generate meetings or actually close the deals? Like what are some of the plays with that small team that you were able to make so much impact? I mean, that's a broad question, right? Because it depends yeah, on the Yeah, yeah, answer it however you like. The, you know, mid-market, enterprise, is it a complex sale? Is it a, you know, a transactional sale? I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. You know, if you're looking yeah. at enterprise, I mean, I, I think really anywhere is, is understanding the competitive landscape, understanding the objections, but mostly understanding your customer. Like, I think what 
you know, you get people that can demo really well, or that can, you know, even if you create the messaging, you know, it's, it's the reps that really put themselves in their customer's shoes that separate themselves is really understanding and knowing your customer. Yeah. When you're an AE and you're selling to the enterprise, there's most of these people have never been the buyer on the other side. They have no experience whatsoever selling to director to C-level executives in technology or HR or marketing or whatever it is. How, how do you get that experience? Like, how do you figure out, how do you learn about who your buyer is? Because that's a very, like the, the concept makes complete sense, right? Of course, I want to know who I'm selling to. How do I actually do it if I'm, if I've never actually been in that role, or maybe I've never even been in that industry before? Right. So be a student of your profession. And I've been in that situation a lot. Like when I started at HelloSign, I was in IC. I was a sales, senior sales person, account executive. And one of the things that separated HelloSign from all the other e-signature solutions like DocuSign and certainly in those days and, and PandaDoc and Adobe Sign, all this, is that it was API centric. So what that means is 50% of our customers were engineers and developers. I didn't even know what an API was when I started there. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea, you know, and so, you know, I would park myself with our API support engineers and sit on every call with them and have them sit on every call with me. I would reach out to our CTO, Neil O'Mara, who's the CTO of the company. And I'd be like, what kind of emails resonate with you? Because engineers in, by nature are allergic to salespeople. You know, they don't, they don't want to be sold to. They you know, so it's like I really putting myself, in fact, I was laughing at one point. We had a kitchen, like a lot of startups, you know, it was, this was back before the pandemic, you know, years ago. And I was in my hoodie and I'm talking to Joseph Walla, who was our CEO at the time, you know, like over lunch or whatever. He's like, have you always worn hoodies to work? I'm like, no, I used to wear like, you know, blue suits and pantyhose and high heels. So like, to, you know, but it's like getting to know your customer and, you know, selling, you know, it just resonated more being in a hoodie and it was much more comfortable for me too. But, you know, it's like, you know, that's, that's a very general experience. I don't care what people wear anymore, but it's like thinking right. about like what resonates with your buyer, what, you know, what are they, what's important to them. And if you don't know, then the easiest resource is to reach out to people in your company and yeah. learn from them. Like, what should I be following? What should, who should I be talking to? Can you introduce me to somebody? You know, I would start out because a lot of my, a lot of my engineering prospects who are engineers, you know, they don't respond to salespeople. So I'd start my emails out by saying, Hey, my CTO, Neil Lamera suggested I reach out. Right. <laughs> you know, he, he, he gave me his blessing to say that, you know, yeah. and, I want to hear that. Yeah. That's, in well, that's interesting. That's, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that when you say it, they go, oh, yeah, I have a CTO in my company or I have a CMO in my company or I have this person in my company. Like, mm -hmm. why don't I just go talk to them? And it's something that I always encourage founders and, and leaders to do is to say, if you are the person or you know the person that your team, marketing, sales, whoever sells to, markets to, creates awareness, go share what it is that you work on. What KPIs you look at? What do you what do you banging your fists against the table about every single day? What keeps you up at night? Like all of those things 
are going to transfer into all of your teams so much easier. And then, I, you know, obviously there's documentation and video and all that kind of stuff where it can spread. But it, there's so many resources inside of your own company that you can access to be able to to really learn about your buyers. A hundred percent. And, you know, that was part of like that sales think tank. And our our VP of sales at Hella Sign coined it. It was his baby, he called it, Chips, Beer and Salsa, CBS, you know, every Thursday. And, you like know, that. it was like an hour, you know, but it's like training and whatnot. But sometimes you just bring in like whatever your state, let's say you're in legal tech, bring in the lawyer, have yeah. him talk to you guys, have him, you know, field questions from the salespeople, you know? Yeah. So it's like, whether it's HR or an engineer or product person or marketing or whoever it is, you know, get them involved. I really believe, you know, so much of the onus of sales in startups and hyper growth companies falls on VP of sales. It's the throat to choke, but the yep. reality is, is it should be a team sport. Yep. And, you know, it, it takes everybody in alignment to to get a company where you want it to go that i 100 100% agree when you are when you're really kind of breaking through and you're starting to have some success and you're starting to generate some meetings are you are you in favor of a cadence from like email only are you cold call and email are you video linkedin social selling like when you think about building an outbound team to really be able to generate those meetings as the goal, or at least the initial goal, mm -hmm. what, what are, what are your go-tos from it? Like an enterprise perspective? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you definitely need to do sequences. You know, I, I, I believe in trying to set up some cold calling and LinkedIn connecting and whatnot into your sequences. There should be six, seven, eight emails in that sequence that go out there. You know, it's, there's a lot of data, particularly, you know, through a lot of the, the companies, HubSpot puts out some great data. Gong puts out great data in terms of like, what is the ideal, you know, outreach cadence and things like that. So you can do a little research around that. I do think it varies quite a bit depending on the segment that you're in. You know, if you're highly transactional, I think power hours can be fun, but I've never really seen a lot come out of power hours. I think this yeah. single, and it was funny because I was engaging with somebody today on LinkedIn and I wish I knew who that person was off the top of my head, but talking about the video, like setting video clips, like people send me video clips and LinkedIn all the time and I don't even watch them, but some people really believe wholeheartedly that those make a big difference. And this person in this dialogue was saying the key is having a message, like a really relevant message that pertains to your buyer. So if you do a video clip and then put a little message, you know, Hey, Alex, and you know, a couple things about your point pain, I'd be more inclined to watch it. Right. right. So I don't think the, the, you know, I don't think the chance, I don't think there's one channel that works. I think you, yeah. you have to, you know, I think in any kind of, you know, and it's so interesting, I think this is probably why a lot of technical and product founders repel on sales, but it's networking, you know, and I, I 
tell this story about when I was trying to get into tech and I relaunched a career in technology after being a mom for many years without a tech background. A little later, I had gone to, I was being a student in my profession, you know, following everything on LinkedIn in terms of newsletters and anything that pertains to my buyer and whatnot. And I saw that TechCrunch was doing a meetup in the, in the Presidio in San Francisco. It was like 20 bucks, you know, and I didn't know it was Seoul, you know, there's food trucks, there's a lot of teams that all work together. And I went and ended up meeting a CEO in line for one of the food trucks that had just moved here from India. And we got chatting and, you know, he, he ended up buying product from me years later. You know, we just kind of kept in touch. You just never know, you know, you want to make sure that you're, I think that the, the biggest piece is being authentic and understanding the pain and how you solve for it. When, when you're a, a VP of sales at an enterprise company and you are owning this big, this big number and you have this team, I, I, I 100% agree networking is a part of it. I think that people buy from people. And if you can get a warm intro, like forget the rest of it, like go to the warm intro every time. Like that's the, probably the fastest way to get in if, unless you actually know them personally. Yeah. When, when you think about kind of working with your team, are, are you measuring, do you measure meeting set? Do you, do you have specific kind of leading indicator KPIs around, around this to be able to say, Hey, these plays are, are working. Like you, you've been in enterprise for a while. How, how do you think about kind of that, that, that outreach testing environment in order to into KPIs themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to measure, you know, and and particularly when it comes to messaging and all of that, you know, you do some A-B testing, you know, you've got to measure all of that, but it has to be a little more than that, you know, and I think that's, I use, I, I definitely rely on metrics a lot, but I also... I also understand being in technology, particularly that data can be manipulated and data doesn't necessarily tell all the story, right? So it's like, sometimes the person who's sending the most emails out is getting the least amount of bytes, right? So it's like, what is your approach? Are you understanding the cut? Like, I, I will tell you, like in, in some roles that I've been in, like I'd be a top producer selling the only seven figure deals, but probably the lowest on activity numbers. Right. Yeah. I I never care how many emails and calls and things that you make. If you're producing, you're producing, but that, that doesn't always pertain to the team overall. You usually have, you tend to have like one or two or a a minority of your team that tends to produce those, you know, those types of deals with low activity, but, but definitely high revenue. When, when you're thinking about it, are you, do you, do you focus and say, Hey, we need to have X meetings per week or X meetings conducted or number of opportunities. Like how do you think about that? And then how do you train for that? Yeah, for sure. So there's two things that I really look at for the team and I try to, to educate them on. It's like focus on what you can control, the number of people you talk to and the quality of your presentation. Right. So there is, it is a numbers game, you know? So it's like, and as you grow, it's hard when you're earlier and you don't have you know, it depends on, you know, how many customers you have, you know, when you're early, early stage and you're, you've got 25 customers for the company or 50 customers for the company. And, you know, the average deal size could be all over the map. You don't necessarily 
sure. know until you really have that product market fit exactly what the conversion rates are and all that, you know, it becomes yeah. more clear over time. Right. But, and there's outliers. So, you know, I always try to drop the highest value and the lowest value or time to close, but, you know, putting, it is a numbers game. You know, if, if you're not talking to people, then you're not going to close deals. Yeah. Right. But you also have to focus on the quality of your presentation. So it's a matter of coaching on both of those things and, and making sure that, you know, the, the team is focusing on what they can control and focusing on, you know, and I think that's where the activities, like what are revenue driving activities? How do you help your team? And, and we, we talked a little bit about it earlier around time management, especially in a remote environment or a hybrid environment, time management, especially as an individual contributor can be very challenging. If you're, if your goal and, and everyone can agree that you want to try to be selling or doing revenue producing activities as much as you can, you're still going to have internal meetings. You're still going to have trainings. You're still going to have admin work and get into Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever it is. There's learning a new tool. Like as, as the leader, how do you help the actual team balance that? Yeah. I mean, it's harder in remote. You know, and that's, again, where I think there's going to be more and more ways to do that, you know, as we adapt to this new reality of, of what we, what our work days look like. You know, I think that the, you could break down sales organizations in a number of ways, right? So when I go into a new company that I'm working for, you know, I do that whole auditing thing. And sometimes that does require managing out some people, but, you know, I typically like to, I, as a leader, I want to make sure I've exhausted all my options before I manage somebody out. Like, have we failed them? Are they trained? Do they have the tools they need? You know, like what is the source of it? You know, so I want people to be successful. And, you know, there's, I know some sales leaders that focus on the elite sellers, the people that are in their top 10%, you know, I do focus on that. I want to make sure that they're training, but typically in a lot of the companies I've worked for, I find that they are self-motivated oftentimes you know, I mean, presuming they're everybody's hitting quota and, you know, typically oftentimes have a little more sales experience. So I just take my role and view it as like, I just want to give them the tools that they need and get out of their way, yeah. you know, and if I can focus on the average sellers and the sellers that may even be struggling and, and, you know, it's like that weakest link thing and get their numbers up, then the whole org's numbers are going to go yeah. up. That, that, that brings up an, an interesting question that, that I work with a lot of sales leaders about. What, what Do you have a, a recommendation for like a direct number of reports? Like, do you say, hey, every, every leader should have at max eight people or six people? Like, what do you think is the, the golden number or at least golden number and below? Yeah, I think six to eight. Yeah. You know, I think six to eight is kind of, you know, you get too much above that and it gets to be a lot, you know, you kind of lose the quality of, I actually used to laugh. I have three kids and they're adults now. My, my youngest is graduating from Gonzaga this weekend, but oh, um, congratulations. You know, at one point I was like, maybe I'll have a fourth kid. And I was like, the quality and quality of my <laughs> product is not going to be as good. <laughs> it's like, you've got to be able to invest the time, you know, into yeah helping them, you know, and so bringing in first line sales leaders. Or well, well, that brings up my, my next question. Cause I, so I have a scorecard or I should say a framework when I think about 
A reps, B reps, C reps, maybe new hires as well to try to figure out like, where do I spend my time as a leader? Because I don't, I don't know that you can just do it balanced, right? Equally down the line, or, or, or even if that's really should be the right way. If people don't want to be coached, they don't want to be coached. If they don't want the help, they don't want the help. How, how do you, when you look at teams, as far as from a coaching and a leadership standpoint, what, what is your philosophy or, or approach to actually coaching people up? Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in getting into the weeds with them. I, I try never to cancel one-on-ones. I know some, I've had leaders that I've worked for that cancel them every other week. And like, I, I try never, it doesn't matter whether they want to be coached or not coached. Like I, I try to really hold on to those, but getting into the weeds, you know, that's also where you can get the respect as a sales leader, you know, like have them listen to you on calls. You listen to them on calls and you know, it's, that could be a challenge too, depending on the organization, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have a balanced approach when you think about it or do you kind of assess your team and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to like some people say, Hey, I'm going to spend more time with my A players because they're going to produce more or my A players are good. I'm going to spend time with my B players and try to get them to be A players, or I'm trying to get my C to my B because like may, maybe there's a, a larger margin. Like how, do, how do you think about that? It depends a lot on the organization and how, you know, how, I mean, my, my goal is to get everybody to be A players. Of course. You know, and so oftentimes my way of coaching my A players is to get them to be leaders, you know, get them to help with one-on-ones or have them come and, and do you know, what's working, what's not working in a sales think tank or, you know, give them opportunities to share what they're, what's working and, you know, and, and that's great for them too. Sometimes, you know, AEs want to move into leadership eventually anyway. Right. So it's like giving them yeah. some of those abilities to, to lead the team. You know, I, I try to get, you know, I think the team building piece is really fun, you know, and I, I, but I, my goal is to get the entire team to be A players. Yeah. Well, that that leads me to my next question, and and I know we're we're going to be wrapping up here soon. But what is the what are the two best bets that you've made? Maybe with some examples to explain it and give some context to be able to scale revenue. To scale revenue. Yeah. Fall, stick to the prospects. You know, the, the, it's the people, process, product, you know, so you want to focus on your, your coaching, your engagement, your people management, the process that they're going through and making sure they're trained up on it. And then the product so that everybody can speak to it as if they're an expert on the product and, you know, making sure your presentation materials and everything are telling the best story. Yeah. Is there, is there a specific like almost unique bet outside of those three things, but like, Hey, I made this bet. I wasn't really sure if it was going to work or not. And it totally paid off. And and this is kind of what happened. I mean, there, you know, I think the, the key is, is doing your homework, you know, I like, there's a saying, I'd rather be lucky than good, but doing your homework. I mean, I've had situations where I've joined companies that were a mistake and I didn't do my homework you know, didn't do enough homework behind the history of what's going on. You know, I, 
Yeah. I, don't, I can't think of a specific, like there's so many, but yeah. How, well, how about the reverse then? What if there, if there is a, a bet that you made that maybe didn't pay off, obviously don't share anything confidential in any way, but what's a bet that you made that, that we were like, you know what? I thought this was going to work and it, and it didn't. And, and it was a learning moment. Yeah. I mean, I think in enterprise sales, you know, one of the big challenges too is navigating the multi-stakeholders. If you're talking about enterprise and like really mm -hmm. trying to navigate that, that organization. And this can actually answer both of your questions, like things that paid off and things that didn't pay off, like is, you know, that can be very challenging. You know, if you've got somebody who's a champion for you within the organization and you try to go above them to multi-thread and get, you know, a C-suite executive or somebody that can sometimes backfire, right? And there's a saying that I have said to my kids a lot, like 90% of the decisions that are made about you in your lifetime are made when you're not in the room, right? Whether or not you're going to a certain school or whether or not you're getting a job or whether or not your buyer is going to buy your product. You know, you can only present to a certain thing, but mm -hmm. usually that ultimate decision is made when you're not in the room, right? So you need to control that narrative and empower them to tell the best story when you're not there internally and make a compelling case, right? So, you know, I think where my biggest mistakes have been is taking for granted, you know, and oftentimes I'll hear reps that are super, I don't really value reps that are overly optimistic about their pipeline, <laughs> right? And Everything's and I, great. Everything's going to close tomorrow. Yeah. And I think I've had situations and I could come up with a number of them. You know, one of them was my first entry into tech. I was actually in sales ops, but it was a healthcare tech company. I had never been in healthcare. I was the only person that wasn't from healthcare. And, you know, we were backed. We had a $14 million raise by Blue Cross Blue Shield. Technology was phenomenal. There were 29 people in the company, but not knowing healthcare, there's, there are the insurance companies, then there's providers. So there's payers, which are insurance companies, there's providers, which are doctors, and then there's the consumers, you and me. And so this product was going to make it healthcare much easier to manage for us and for the doctors. But what we didn't realize is that these payer organizations are very, it's like government. There's multi-layers, multi-complicated, right? So we had been walked in to all of these companies by Blue Cross Blue Shield. And so we were coming into these organizations from the C-suite down, the CEO or chief sales officer or whatever. And they were all on board with the technology, but the company ended up not working and going bankrupt. And part of that is, is because it's the middle management that has to change all the systems and they're not willing to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, they want job security. There's, there's such complicated organizations as insurance right. companies, right? And so we presumed that we were going to be super successful because we had the C-suite buy-in, but we didn't have the buy-in of yeah. the people that were actually going to need to implement it. And, and so ultimately the company failed, right? So it's like trying not to make presumptions that, you know, that's where, that's where the mistakes happen. Yeah, I, I like to say it's no longer a, a vertical line as far as way people buy. You don't just go to the top person, they say yes, and then everybody else jumps in line, which I feel like when I first got into sales was kind of the way. 
it was very much of yeah. a, it's a horizontal line. Like it doesn't matter your role or title or anything. Everybody's got to be online CEO to C level, the director, individual contributor. You need to have an understanding of how this affects their specific role, because if it, if it eliminates their job or it, it makes it more difficult or it gives them more duties or whatever it is, maybe they don't buy into it and say, Hey, you know, we should actually sell against this and say, Hey, let's go do this other project that is also on our, our priority list. So now that's, right. that's a really good learning. What, what I want to do before we wrap up is I would love to grab a favorite book or a favorite resource that you recommend to founders, sales leaders, kind of along their scaling journeys to, to leave something behind. Yeah. I went to a book talk this Sunday. I haven't finished the book called Connect and it's by Carol Robin. And I am so excited about this book. It's called Connect. And she wrote that, she co-wrote it with, with her partner, not her, like her life partner, but she is a professor at Stanford's MBA program at Stanford Business School for one of the top subscribed MBA programs at Stanford. And this book is all about, and it's something that I'm really passionate about as I start, I think we started out our conversation talking about how it's challenging working yeah. for these people who are so bright, but they don't necessarily have the EQ. And yeah. this is about, she actually coaches a lot of Silicon Valley founders and CEOs outside and it's kind of combining the IQ and EQ, um, you know, in order to have impactful conversations and, Very um, cool. I'll have to it pick that up. Really I haven't, I haven't heard of that one before. So thank you. Yeah. Is there any last, any last wisdom or advice that you can, that you want to part with before we wrap up with, with founders and sales leaders? I mean, you know, it's, it's a tricky time right now. And, you know, I think the best thing you can try to do in my opinion is be kind to people, kind to your teams, you know, and I think that's really where you're going to get your, your performance is knowing that you're bought in to them. Great. Great advice. I 100% agree. How, how, how does the audience get more of you? Where can we find more of you? Thank you. LinkedIn. You know, Elizabeth okay. Andrew on LinkedIn is the best place. Connect, send me a message. I'm doing some consulting. If any founders need some help in, you know, building their go-to-market, I'm happy to to help there. I do have a TEDx. It's on career reentry really more than anything else. But, you know, you can look for me on that too. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. There's so I, I have pages of notes and uh, there's so much to learn. I will have to have you on again. And, and, get, and get the next chapter. This is, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me. Really, really great conversation with you. And I look forward to continuing our conversation and keeping in touch. Awesome. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.